I'm Dr. Omar Khan. I'm Dr. Shannon Gowland. I'm Dr. Tiffany Dursey. And welcome to Vet Sessions. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Vet Sessions. Today we have with us uh, our friend and colleague, Dr. Ryan Appleby. So hi, Ryan. Hello, Shannon. How are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? Uh, Good. It's good to be here. Good. Well, it's good to have you. Thanks for coming. So I thought that before we leap into our subject, you could kind of start by telling us a little bit about yourself, kind of who you are and what you do and how you got there, just for people who don't know you as well. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I was uh, born and raised in Toronto. I went to veterinary school at OVC. I graduated in 2014 and did a couple internships. Uh, and then I did a residency in diagnostic imaging, and I returned back to OVC in the summer of 2019 to start on faculty here. So I've been here for three years now, and yeah, it's good to good to be back. Nice to be at OVC, and nice to be working with fine folks like you. Amazing. Thank you. And then, so tell me a little bit more about how you became interested in artificial intelligence. Yeah, so... I think for me, it's, it's a couple different things. I've always been interested in technology. I really enjoy um, the technological aspect of radiology, the fact that we get to use so many different imaging modalities and that each one of them is, at this point in time, at least sort of um, has a foundation in technology. And so that's what kind of drew me to radiology as a profession. And then within radiology, there's been a trend towards AI being a very interesting Um, a new field, especially for MD radiologists, and starting to get there for veterinary radiologists. And I was really fortunate that when I joined on faculty here, um, there was a group of folks on main campus that were looking to start to research veterinary AI. They come from the um, computer sciences department. and, And so we were able to kind of link up and start to create a lab centered around veterinary AI created some projects that we've gotten going now. And um, yeah, so that kind of drew my interest in. So I had the interest and I got really lucky in terms of timing, finding some like-minded colleagues from another side that were willing to collaborate on some things. Oh, that's awesome. It's so great that you're in a place where you can kind of pull people from different departments and work together. I mean, that's the beauty of being at a university. Yeah, it's awesome. That is great. So I know you wrote a recent article in JAVMA, so the Journal of American Veterinary Medical Association, um, in 2022, so very recent. And we'll kind of base part of our discussion on that. If anybody wants further information, they can certainly have a look at that. Yeah, I would definitely encourage anybody listening to give it a read. Uh, My co-author and I really targeted it towards folks that have absolutely no background in artificial intelligence. It's really just kind of a way to dip your toes in, get your feet wet, and and anybody could understand it. You don't need to have a background in computer science or anything like that. I can attest to that because I could understand it. And I am the opposite of you. I am not a very technically uh, oriented veterinarian, unfortunately. So for those of us who are less technically inclined than you, would you mind just basically explaining what is AI? Yeah, absolutely. So AI is, um, or artificial intelligence, is a branch of computer science, which is geared at developing computer programs that accomplish tasks which are ordinarily requiring human intelligence. So that is, in a broad sense, uh, what AI is. And that can have a huge, wide range of implications. Uh, AI is being used every day in your phone, on your email, all of those kind of things. 
Uh, and I think the reason you and I are talking here today is because AI is starting to make its way into veterinary medicine, which is super exciting, but also poses a lot of challenges and considerations that we all need to start thinking about. Yeah, for sure. And I have to say that I probably use AI many times a day without actually thinking about it. So yeah, I'm really happy to discuss what we should be thinking about there. I know that um, in your article in Javma, you mentioned that there are different types of AI. Did you want to tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think the, the best way for folks to get as much information about AI is to go to the articles. So there's one in Javma, one in AJVR, they're kind of paired. Um, the Javma one is definitely more accessible. Uh, and the AJVR one is a little bit more in depth, um, but they're both great resources. But you know, broadly speaking, when we talk about AI, and especially as we talk about AI for medicine and veterinary medicine, what we're talking about is a group of AI which could be considered narrow or weak AI. And so as opposed to kind of general AI, which would be you know a computer that thinks exactly like a person or has the same capabilities, a narrow or weak AI is a you know, computer system that is directed towards a specific task. Um, and so that's what we're typically using on a day-to-day -day basis um, when we implement AI in medicine. Okay, great. Thank you. So how can it be used in radiology particularly? And kind of maybe you could then give us an idea of what's available now. Yeah, for sure. So when radiology, I think, is one of the first places that AI is starting to... Um, get used in medicine and in mm -hmm. veterinary medicine in part because of the data sets that are available so we have this wealth of information in digital imaging which you know presents a real opportunity for um, using ai to help with that data so the types of things that we can do with that um, are, are almost limitless but some of the things that we can think about is using AI at different levels of the radiographic process. So we can use AI at the level of image acquisition. So you could imagine a system that uses AI to help a technologist or technician position and get accurate radiographs for what they're interested in. So optimizing the image itself. Mm. We could think about AI kind of at a next level up, which might um, you know, help project the image to a radiologist. So if those images were sent off to a radiologist, the AI could, you know, manipulate the images in some way. So for example, flipping them in the correct orientation um, or doing things to basically help streamline the systems that are already in place. And then of course we could have AI, which I think is probably the main way that people think about it using as computer aided diagnosis. So, um, thinking about if we're looking for pulmonary nodules in a patient, is there an AI that could tell us whether there is or isn't pulmonary nodules in a dog or a cat or whomever? Um, so those would be kind of some of the ways in which we could think about using it in our veterinary practice and as, as it applies to radiology. But I think that's where a lot of the challenges start to come in is that there is this wide range and you know those are three examples, but there are, like I said, like innumerable numbers that's where some of the challenges start to come in of thinking about how do we want to use this. And so I think that's where what we're starting to see in veterinary medicine is, you know, products come available that start to talk about this and opportunities for vets to get involved. Those three examples are, you know, some of many. There are going to be tons of examples out there of what folks can do with AI. 
the challenge is going to be as a group of veterinarians and as people thinking about what we can, um, what we can do, what we should do, and what are some of the considerations that we need to start to think about as we're either thinking about implementing these in practice or as we're thinking about how we want to implement them in practice. So, you know, I think there are a lot of folks out there who might be interested in starting to use AI in radiographic diagnosis. There are already commercially available products that will talk about, you know, screening radiographs and giving you a second set of eyes, so to speak. And I think there could be value there, you know, at some point. The challenge that I have and, and that as I've considered these, these factors is that I'm not sure we're at a point from a scientific standpoint that we have enough data to support the use of these um, products, nor do we have the regulations in place um, to help us understand some of the restrictions involved in them. And I think that opens up a lot of challenges for veterinarians. So if I were thinking about implementing a, an artificial intelligence product in my veterinary practice to help me diagnose you know, X, Y, and Z diseases, I would need to think about who is going to hold the liability for those diagnoses. It's going to fall on the veterinarian because there is no liability for uh, you know, a computer service. And it's probably not going to fall on the company providing that service. I'd also want to think about you know, what that data is and where that data is coming from. So, for example, if we're looking at a, a system that might you know, diagnose pulmonary nodules, so it's an easy example that I come back to. It's one that we talk about in our paper. Um, I'd want to know how the model that developed it was trained, right? So I'd want to know how many images were used. Were they all well-positioned images or not? because that's gonna impact you know, how you're able to do this. If you think about the way in which you've learned radiology over time and the experience that you've had, when you're faced with kind of those novel edge cases, that's where it becomes the most challenging. And we can't expect an AI to do anything more than what we're able to do, and definitely nothing more than the type of data that we've given it to learn from. So depending on how many images, how well those images were categorized, what the underlying truth of that was. So how did they decide that there were nodules in those images? Were they all, you know, labeled by a radiologist or were they um, labeled by a novice or who knows, right? Um, so I'd want to know that kind of information. I'd also want to know, um, you know, the, the accuracy, the sensitivity and the specificity of these tests. So in our paper, we kind of make an analogy to an ELISA test. And I, I think that a lot of these computer-aided diagnostic systems um, should be thought of a lot like an ELISA in your practice. So if you mm -hmm. think about, um, you know, if somebody were to introduce a new SNAP test for a disease, you would want to know how accurate is that SNAP test? How sensitive is it? How specific is it? Give me some data. How did you decide? What population did you use? So all of those questions that we typically apply and we use kind of our scientific method and everything we're trained to for every other test in the world, for whatever reason, and I think it is sort of the, the novelness, the inherent challenges associated with radiography and the fact that we all struggle with it and how it's such a big part of our practice, we're kind of leapfrogging a lot of those to get to some of these um, diagnostic capabilities. 
And so kind of all these challenges put into place are things that, you know, if I were thinking about this and wanting to put something into practice would be things that I would really want to think about before I made the leap to do that. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, as a clinician, you know, um, the, the, the idea of pushing the button and sending the radiograph off and having a nicely labeled diagnosis come back to me that's perfect and accurate. Uh, that's a dream, basically. Time-saving, accuracy, you know, all that sort of thing is really appealing. But you're absolutely right. There are so many considerations that, honestly, I didn't really think about. Now, we don't, we we use a radiology service as opposed to an ASI service here at PHC at the moment. But um, it's true, there's a lot of thought. And any kind of new tests, for instance, SDMA came out relatively recently. Well, not all of us just immediately started using it and interpreting it. We wanted to look into it and see what the sensitivity and specificity was of the test and what kind of variation there was. And so you're right, it's a medical test like any other. Yeah. Really interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a really good point. Yeah, thanks. And, you know, I think that part of the other aspect that that is, I, I'm not sure if it's unique to AI, but as we start to collect more and more medical data, whether it's images or the actual medical records themselves, blood work, all of these pieces are pieces of medical data, and that data is going to have value. And so mm-hmm. who is kind of controlling that value, owning that value, and using that value becomes super important, in, in my opinion. So thinking about how you want the medical records and all of the pieces of data in your practice used um, is going to be an important kind of consideration for for clinics um, and how that relates to communicating to clients, right? If we're thinking about like how clients should expect us to treat that medical data and how we're using it, you know, we need to think about that as well. We have an obligation to them and, and that's really important. And, you know, I think these are all things that the, the medical establishment has been, considering um at length over you know the last decade essentially as they've started to increase ai um and they've put into place systems and considerations and regulatory frameworks to consider um ai's use so in the united states the the fda controls what ai is able to be put into practice um and that's not something that exists in veterinary medicine so None of the the stuff that we have is going to be regulated by the FDA. So, you know, again, I'm not saying I have the answer to this, and yeah. I don't I don't know where this will all go, but I think these are all considerations that that folks need to to think about as they're considering the use of of AI. For sure. So maybe we have to think about those things as opposed to just leaping into what seems like potentially an easy and time saving solution. We've got to think a little bit harder about. All the things you just brought up. Okay, thank you. And then what I'm wondering about as you're speaking is how clients are going to react to, you know, we take a radiograph. I mean, I'm accustomed to taking a radiograph and typically before I take thoracic films in particular, I may say, you know, there may be some subtle differences here where I want to consult a radiologist. So um, clients tend to react very well to having a radiologist review x-rays for us. But I'm wondering how they'll, what they'll think about AI review. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think ultimately... I, I don't know for sure. My guess would be that most folks would react positively in some way, as long as there is kind of the understanding that it's being used in the right way. So again, like taking into account all those considerations that we just thought about, you know, um, 
one, you know, what the financial burden on them is going to be to, mm-hmm. to do this, especially depending on how proven it is and how likely it is to give us a diagnosis. Um, but I think, you know, we're, we're becoming so entwined with technology throughout our life that I think it would surprise me if, if folks were not okay with AI playing a role in the medical diagnosis. I think it becomes really, really important, especially as we come to, you know, significant diagnoses. If we're talking about, you know, even the example that I was offering, pulmonary nodules, you know, those are significant diagnoses that have really profound implications for a life. And we need to be really considerate of that and the role that AI is playing and whether or not AI is used in conjunction with, you know, the eyes of a radiologist or someone else um, to, to consider that. So... I think ultimately folks would probably respond quite well if it's used in the right way and it's used in a very thoughtful way. Yeah, that makes sense. And if it's explained well, as usual, like any medical test and what the what the results might bring, yeah. that makes sense. Hmm. And then, so what do you see as the future challenges in terms of developing this? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think all of the things that we've been talking about are the future challenges. So the challenges Fair that are, are the ones today are the ones that we're going to continue to face probably. Um, I think for most of my career, if I'm being honest, uh, I think these are things that we're going to be struggling with and, and considering. And, and um, I, I think we're, we're just kind of going down this path. We're just getting started in this. Um, and as computer systems become easier to develop, cheaper, um, more accessible and for everybody, there's going to be more and more opportunity for this to play a role in, in practices. And so all of these challenges are just going to get amplified with more and more uses, more and more data that's going to be put forward. And so, you know, we, we kind of, we left off the, the article that we wrote with this idea that, um, you know, um, there, there was a, a, a human radiologist who kind of made a quote about how w- there was an, a, a lot of concern about AI replacing radiologists. Um, and, the, and the quote went something like, you know, AI is not going to replace radiologists. Radiologists who use AI will replace radiologists who don't. And I, I really think that we are likely headed towards a situation where that's going to be true of veterinarians as a whole. Right. So I'm a veterinary radiologist. Probably I will need to find a way to use AI in my practice. But I think that's going to trickle down to all of veterinary practice in the long run. And I think what I mean by that is as we get better of curating our medical data, it's going to start to fit in not just to radiology, which is where we're starting to see it, but other aspects of practice, triage, blood work, medical records, um, you know, sort of being analyzed, looking for trends or, you know, possibilities of where, um, I lost my train of thought there. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's okay. Um, but you know, just essentially just uh, the more data we have, the more opportunities we have for AI. And so I think it's going to filter into all aspects of our practice that we're going to need to to think about. Uh, Yeah, I, I agree with you. I love that quote as well. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's a tool that will become more and more available to us. And um, 
as with every other aspect of our profession, we will need to move with the times and take advantage of what's offered, but with some caution and some thought um, and ethical considerations as with everything else we do. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's definitely the message that I'm trying to strike. So I want folks to be aware of AI. You know, I want everybody to, to read these articles. Please, please do. Um, but then also be thoughtful and considerate on, on how we want this to, to go moving forward and think about getting involved in some way. You know, if this strikes your interest, there are ways to consider getting involved um, with some of these and, and you can start to explore those as well, learning more about AI. Amazing. Amazing. So in the future, I, I assume that our new grads will likely be using AI more and more and more. And perhaps one day the dream of having, you know, AI help us um, accurately interpret radiographs will will become a reality yeah i I think it's i think it's likely and and it's just where does that ai fit into the puzzle right is it fitting in directly in the clinics on the radiologist side some combination thereof uh, you know and that's the stuff that we're figuring out so absolutely i think uh new grads and future grads are going to start to see more and more of this in practice in the years to come all right. Well, I look forward to seeing that at least for the next few years. So <laughs> yeah. sounds good. Um, so thanks for talking to me about this. This has been really interesting and very eye-opening for me, for sure. This is something that I didn't know much about uh, before talking to you about this. So I really appreciate this. Um, I want to ask you as well, I know that you've also been developing um, a continuing education resource called OB, which I really enjoy myself. Can you tell us a little bit more about that just in case some of the listeners aren't aware of it? Yeah, for sure. Thanks. I, mean, I, I think probably most of the listeners would not be aware of it. Um, it is a, an online continuing education resource. Uh, you can find it at obvet.com. Um, it is a, I, I guess it's, it came from my feeling that the way in which online education was being delivered for veterinarians was a little bit behind the time. So I think that we tried to take what we did in lecture formats from conferences and in school and just put that online. So long form lectures being delivered, um, which was not in keeping with sort of the most up to date. Um, what is the word I'm looking for? <laughs> The most mm-hmm. up-to-date instructional design. Yeah. Uh, yes. I was going to say so, educational methods, yeah. something like so, that. Exactly. It's not in keeping with the most up-to-date instructional design, and um, there are better ways that we can learn. And so I think we know from literature and research in a variety of fields, albeit I admit not as direct to veterinary medicine, but across a broad range of, of um, professions and topics, people learn really well in short chunks. Um, and there's different names for that, but the one I like is micro learning. And so OBVET is about, um, you know, delivering micro learning, continuing education. So, um, what I've done is, uh, for radiology is where we started. Um, I took, you know, the stuff that I was teaching in class and in CE lectures, and I broke those down into short chunks Uh, and put those on as courses online. And so lessons are typically five minutes or less. You can go on and you can take, you know, just a five-minute lesson on how to identify left atrial enlargement in dogs. Um, And that's, you can either stop there or you can keep going. And so folks can use it however they want. If they need just a five-minute refresher on that one topic, you know, you're being faced with that question of the case in the the practice of... uh, you know, I don't remember exactly how to identify a bronchial pattern. You can head on and look at just that. Or you can use it um, just like you would any sort of 
longer form education and stack those all together um, for as many in a row as you want. I really like the format. It's nice to have just sort of small snippets of things. And as you say, it's nice to be able to customize your learning a little bit and just focus on the things that you really want to know at the time. Yeah, and absolutely. I also loved your surgical knot videos. I've referred many a student to that. Oh, great. So those, yes. those are very handy as well. Yes, they're, And, and uh, part of it's free, right? Yeah, exactly. Which I like. So, uh, the surgical knots, which are from um, uh, Amit Singh and a former student here, um, you know, they are a wonderful resource that are free. We also have a, a large number of free resources in cardiology. So uh, a former professor here, Lynn O'Sullivan, has put together a, um, a series of, of videos on ECG interpretation, as well as some text-based resources um, that are, we're continuing to develop and roll out. Um, and so, yeah, we have all of that kind of free stuff. I do a free video every um week or or sometimes delayed a little bit depending on what's going on <laughs> in life i uh, aim for every week but it might end up being every month on uh, um, radiology interpretation um, and then uh, we also have some additional paid content in um, oncology medicine and dentistry so yeah all right well thanks very much and so the the site again is it will be at obvet.com okay yeah. perfect thank you all right well thanks everyone for listening and joining us today thank you ryan for a really interesting discussion i really appreciate you coming out today yeah thanks Shannon. it was a pleasure to be here so everyone can uh, welcome to follow us on instagram at vet sessions if you have any questions or ideas for future podcasts please email us our email address is vet sessions at hotmail.com thanks everybody take care <laughs>